Welcome to the Daily Writer Podcast, where we bring you tips and inspiration each day to help you build habits for writing success. For more resources, including your free Daily Writer Starter Kit, visit dailywriterlife.com. Most of us go through life with no real thought to whom we should be spending our time with. So I'm thankful that today's guest is here to help give us some clarity about this issue so we can rise to greater heights in our personal and professional success. Justin Schink is the host of the Inc. Magazine top-rated podcast, The Growth Now Movement, and also host of the world-renowned event, Growth Now Movement Live. He is known for his positive energy and being a person who, quite simply, other people just love being around. In a time when there's so much division and negativity in the world, I'd say that's a pretty important quality. In this conversation, Justin shares some thoughts from the book that he's currently working on. And specifically, he talks about the five people that you need in your life. The cheerleader, the bruiser, the softy, the mentor, and the coach. I really love this conversation. I took a bunch of notes and I found it incredibly informative and inspiring. Justin also gives us some insights into his morning routine, which of course is a key part of any high performer's success. And as a writer, of course, you know the importance of daily routines because after all, this podcast is called The Daily Writer. So we are all about great habits here on The Daily Writer. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I absolutely had a blast talking with Justin and you can find out more about him at growthnowmovement.com. So make sure and check that out after the conversation. All right, here's my interview with Justin Schink. Justin, it's a pleasure to have you here on the Daily Writer Podcast. We were connected by our mutual friend, the amazing Karen Anderson. So I got to give her a shout out for connecting us. So Karen, if you're listening to this, thanks so much. You're amazing. (laughs) So welcome to the show. Yeah, Kent, thank you so much. And Karen, you better be listening to this. I'm checking <laughs> up. I'm going to ask you for all your notes. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think she she taught me a lot of what I know. That's that's probably not true in the sense of it. Like, it's not like I've been in a mastermind or something with Karen, but she is the kind of person, and I, I'm sure you would say this too, Justin, where you spend a little bit of time in her presence and she just has lots of wisdom. She's a very wise and kind person. And I, I just love that about her. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, you know, and, it, and it's so funny. I've, I've known Karen now for a number of years, just speaking at some events with her. And then, you know, she's been a part of my events that I've done in the past as well. And uh, she's almost, so my mom passed away about six and a half years ago. And it was shortly after that, that I had met Karen and, you know, she kind of almost instinctively took on a motherly role in my life. And she's like, mm-hmm. I hope you're not offended, but she's like, I feel like I, I care about you. Like you're one of my own. And it, and wow. it shows her kindness and it shows you know, how much she cares and, and how much she wants to give and be a part of. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting married in April and, and, you know, she's Congrats. invited to the wedding and thank you so much. Yeah. And so she, and like, it's just wild how quickly you can feel connected to somebody who's such an, a kind person. So for the people in your life who know that you're getting married, are you now at the stage where you're getting all the advice about here's what you should do when you're married or here's what you should know. And, you know, people tend to give a lot of life advice whenever you're entering like the parent stage or the marriage stage or something like that. You know, it's funny. So I'm, I'm obviously not, I'm not 22, right? Like I'm not like one of those like young kids getting married. I'm, I'm 37. I've got a lot of life under me. Uh, my fiance is five years older than me and she's, she's formerly married, but I think it's, it's so interesting being in the self-development space. Like I am it's people, I think feel weird giving me life advice. 
like even my elders, like even people that I want them to give me life advice, unless they're in the space of self-development, they're, they're kind of timid about it. So I'm not there yet. And I'm sure months leading, the last couple of months leading into it, we'll start to get some of that sage advice. Hmm. Um, but I think people look at me and my fiance and they're like, they've, they've done a lot of work personally in their own yeah. lives and, and it's, and it's, it's going to work out. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think we both feel that way. And, and I, I imagine a lot of our circle feels that way too. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, that's a good lead into our topic for, for this conversation, which is all about networking and relationships and specifically five people that you need to have in your life. And I say that because, you know, we were talking about Karen Anderson just a minute ago, and she is an amazing connector and has impacted so many people just by being who she is and introducing people and making connections. And that's something we talk about here on this show a lot is the importance of networking and relationships and building those connections that are such a critical part of any kind of success, particularly with writing as well. So just a couple minutes ago, before I hit record on this, Justin, you mentioned this book that you're working on and this concept that you have talked about a lot, which is the five people that you need to have in your life. And that really got my curiosity up. And so we're just going to go a whole different direction than what I'd planned on this conversation. And I'm curious, give us kind of a lead into what is this concept and why do you feel it's important? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, I guess it's a good thing if I if I talk about what the con the content of the book is and it and it piques your interest. That means people might pick it up. Absolutely, and buy it I would shelf. buy the book right now if you had it. I would I buy. It. In fact, I'd buy a case of them and I would give them away because it sounds like oh, love an that. amazing concept. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So it's interesting. It came from look. I've been hearing the quote from Jim Rohn since I was nineteen. Right. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And it was always an intriguing concept. And the reason it's one of the most famous quotes of all time is because it's true, right? Like you look at anybody, you know, and see where they are in life. There's a good chance the people there that they're surrounded with are doing similar things, right? Uh, and I'm not judging anybody. Like if you love your life and, you know, you might not be at the echelon of what I want to be in life, but you love it. That's important too. But you become the people you spend the time with. And I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be more to this five people. Cause I, especially as a young man, the idea of the five people was like, okay, I, I can't hang out with anybody else. I got to get rid of all my old friends. I've got to completely reshape my life. And then also as a young man, you go, but I'm not good enough to be in those circles that I want to be in. I'm not the person at that level in which I need to uh, get in there. And so mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, my mind started to go, well, who am I surrounding myself with? And now that I've created success, now that I have uh you know, made a, a rather large impact in the world and, and just feel really blessed to be able to do that. But I go, who, who are my five people? And I realize they all fit into specific roles. And this is obviously it's grown over time and it's changed over time. And those five people will change over time as you grow. Um, but they, they truly fill a role, right? And the first person I realized was the cheerleader and the cheerleader is the person who you call them with about something with your next idea, with your next thing you're working on, and they make you feel like you can run through a brick wall. Like even when you're questioning yourself and you're like, I'm unsure of this, they're going to be like, this is a phenomenal idea. You're a champion. You're going to go out and do this, right? So that cheerleader is such an important role in order to push you in those uncomfortable moments. Hmm. The second person is the bruiser, right? The, the analytical person who's going to go, well, why do you feel that way? Is there a better way to do that? The person who's questioning you in order to support you. And I want to be really clear when I talk about the bruiser. This is not an abuser. It's a bruiser. There's two hmm. different things, right? Like it's tough love, right? It comes from a place of love instead of a place that's trying to tear you down. The third person is the softy. This is the person that's shoulder to cry on. 
you know, when you hit that, that moment of like, I'm a, I've failed, it's all over. They're there to, to pat you on the back and be the shoulder to cry on. But also at the same time, not let you stay there, right? They're going to then, you know, lift your chin up and help you move forward. The fourth person is a mentor. Now I look at a mentor a little bit differently than how we've heard it, how we've heard it defined in the past. To me, a mentor is a, a dear friend or a close friend who you aspire to be like in some way, right? So like my mentor is a guy named Fabio Viviani. A lot of people know him from a show called Top Chef. He owns yeah. a ton of restaurants. Uh, you know, they, I think his company does over $300 million a year. Number one, I have no desire to ever be in the restaurant industry and I don't need $300 million a year. These aren't things that I aspire to be in my life. But what I realized is he is such a giving person. And he lives in such abundance and he's willing to give you the shirt off his back. And that's somebody I want to be at the core. And so that's how I kind of look at a mentor in your life as somebody, they have a trait or something about them that you want to aspire to be. And then the fifth person is a coach. I really believe in always having somebody that you're investing financially in so they can invest in you, whether it's a business coach, a relationship coach, a spirituality coach, whatever. I've had them all. Um, but I really believe at any given time, you should have, have a coach that you're invested in your future as well. And so those are the five people that I realized look, we can have an army. That's our community, right? The people that are, are behind us, the ton of people, but the five people are your front line. And those are the people that are willing to support you and help you and guide you and get you to where you want to be versus what they want you to be or whatever. They're there to kind of really get you into the place that you aspire to be as a person. Wow. Okay. That's so, a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fantastic. And as you're going through these, I'm thinking of people in my own life who fit each of these roles. And I'm curious, one of the questions that comes to mind immediately is, is there, is there some value in sort of reverse engineering this in the sense, well, not reverse engineering, but should we be looking at ourselves and trying to identify which of these roles we're playing in other people's lives as well? Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a really good concept, right? And, and it's something I'm really playing with now as I'm, you know, fleshing out this book idea and everything like that. And I go, well, well, who am I to people? Right. And I started to kind of pay right. attention to that. Uh, and it's funny as people hear me speak at events or they listen to my podcast, they think I'm a cheerleader. Like they think I'm the person that's going to make them feel like they can run through a brick wall, but really I'm a bruiser. I'm very much analytical and very much push you a little bit into discomfort in order to grow all those types of things. Now I do it from a loving place, which is why people think I'm a cheerleader. Um, but I'm certainly not a cheerleader by any means, even though people think I am that. And so when you kind of take a step back and go, well, what am I playing? You may play different roles for different people. It depends on the type of relationship that you have, right? And, and now there's like a whole thought process of, do you have multiple groups of five, right? Do you have a business five? Do you have a, a family five? Do you have a whatever? Um, and, and you can really start to kind of pick all that apart. But I realize I'm certainly a bruiser even with my fiance, like she straight up told me, she's like, you're my, I didn't, I didn't tell her I was her bruiser, but she's like, you're my bruiser in such a loving way. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, when we look at that, I think it is important to understand what role do we play in other people's lives? Um, because then we can be more of that to that person, right? When we, when we know who we are to other people, we want to be able to pour into them more and more. And if, if we realize, Hey, maybe this person defines me as their, as their cheerleader, maybe be more intentional in playing that role in that person's life uh, and giving as much as you can to them. Do you think there is a tendency that we have to avoid certain types of people? Like, and, and I guess really my question is, do we have a tendency to avoid the bruisers? Are there things that we do to repel people in our lives who could fulfill that role and who could be really, really helpful? But because, you know, there's a certain segment of us that hates conflict. We don't like confrontation. 
we don't like criticism or those kinds of things. We tend to avoid people who really push us. So what can we do to be more open to these kinds of people like the bruiser? Uh, did I say bruiser? I don't know why I said it that way. Like the, <laughs> I'm from Missouri. So what, you know, it's a Missouri thing. I have no, I have no excuse. It's just how we talk around here. Like the bruiser or the coach who can really push us. Um, what can yeah. we do to be more open to those kinds of people who will challenge us? Yeah. You know, I think for me, I kind of reflect on, you know, what I feel like is my purpose. Uh, and there's a, there's actually based off of mathematics alone, there are 75,000 people that need to hear your message specifically from you. And I know if I'm not doing the things I need to do, I'm not making the impact in the world that I need to make. And so for me, I just go, how selfish of me not to get a little uncomfortable so I can grow my business in order to help more people too. So my podcast grows and and whatever. So it's a self-check thing, right? At the end of the day, nobody can force you to do that thing. Nobody can force you to go to the gym. Nobody can force you to get on, to get off the couch and do something you don't want to do necessarily. Right. It has to ultimately fall on you. But I think when you tie whatever you're doing to a greater purpose, it makes it a lot easier to, to be able to do that. Right. I don't always feel comfortable calling my bruiser still to this day. And he's not only is he, he's a great friend of mine, but when I'm dealing with something and I go, you know what I need, I need somebody to kind of push me in a different direction or question what I'm thinking here. I go, okay, take a deep breath, pick up the phone and call him uh, and, and have that uncomfortable conversation. At the end, you realize it's so much more, it's so much more important, uh, you know, cause you, you have so much more clarity usually after you speak to the bruiser. So you have to think of that end result type of thing. Now, when you think about the coach, that's tough, right? Because a lot of people go, well, I'm not financially stable enough to invest in that coach, right? You know, I think I can figure it out on my own. The reason I always say you should be investing in a coach is because when you tighten that belt strap a little bit, like when you financially invest in something and you're actually paying, it makes you take action faster. Is that coach usually going to teach you something you can't find on Google? Probably not, right? Like, unless it's like, somebody who's never put any of their information on the internet. Exactly. Um, but it's probably there. But but when you financially invest, um, not only are they more invested in you because you financially invested, but you're more invested in yourself. So you have to think of the end result versus the discomfort part of this whole entire process. But yeah, I mean, very, very interesting you brought that up because I always think about like, right before I call my bruiser, I'm like... Maybe I should put, maybe I should hold off on this this conversation, <laughs> but it's certainly a real thing. But the importance of ha- having that balance in life. If I were to always call my cheerleader, I wouldn't grow, right? I, you know, I might think bigger, but I'm not going to take the actions I need to be bigger. Now, what you mentioned about financially investing in yourself, I think this is a really important point here. That that it's a point of struggle for many people, especially when you're just starting out. If you're financially strapped or you're frustrated in that realm. Do you do you put things like communities and mastermind groups in that same category, or do you really mean more of a one-on-one coach? So I, I'm speaking about a one-on-one coach when we talk about the five people, but as we're talking about financial investing, I think you know communities and masterminds are something that's super key as well. Like I I host my own community that's very mm-hmm. financially accessible. It's forty seven dollars a month, right? Yeah. And so that's what mine is the, too. Yeah. Well, I looked at it and I said, you know what? What did I need? when maybe I didn't have a ton of money, but I knew I needed exactly. to invest a little bit. Right. So I made it 47, but then you get the mastermind and then the coaching and, you know, I've invested tens of thousands of dollars in coaching um, because I think that gets you the most results, right? Community helps yeah. you move forward, but when you're one-on-one and you're finding out exactly what you need to do for you versus overall tactics, which you normally get in a community, it's totally different. Plus again, getting a little uncomfortable financially is a good thing. 
because then you're like, okay, I got to make this back. Like I have to now produce in my business, or I now have to actually get the abs because I hired a fitness coach (laughs) because here I am financially investing. Like I'm not going to eat that cupcake. Right. And so when you get to that level and you're able to invest, it's, it's a game changer. I mean, I've seen it through and through in my, my business over and over again. Yeah. Boy, I couldn't agree with all that more. One of the things that I'm, that I'm super excited about right now. So I'm actually in three paid mastermind groups and two of those have one-on-one coaching as kind of part of the, the arrangement of being in those groups. And they're, they're really expensive. Um, in fact, if, if you would have told me, you know, probably three or four years ago that I would be spending basically like the equivalent of my whole annual salary as a professor, you know, almost that on like a year's worth of, of different mastermind groups, I would have thought you were absolutely insane, but I have found that to be really indispensable. Like, in fact, just this morning we had a, um, a call with, uh, the ghostwriting mastermind that I'm in, uh, led by a guy named Nick Pavlidis, really amazing guy. Does a lot of stuff with Morgan James publishing, knows Karen Anderson very well. And I'm like, man, when you are in one of those groups that you're really investing in, it just takes you so much further, so much faster. It's worth it. But when you're starting out, it's so hard to even like feel like you've got to scrape together $47, but man, you got to find a way to do it because that, that will get you so much further along. It's true. And I mean, that speaks to the the power of community in general. Yeah. Like, you know, just being surrounded by those people. A lot of times people are like, I pay $15,000 a year to be in a mastermind just for the connection. Like yeah. it's not even about yeah. necessarily learning the tactics. And last year, actually, I was in a mastermind that was partnered with that one-on-one coaching. I've thoroughly enjoyed that model. I enjoyed being a part of it. And, and obviously it was expensive, but for me, it was it was that opportunity to not only build community, but to also get that one-on-one coaching that I, that yeah. I needed. I love that model. I feel like sometimes we, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I feel like sometimes we overestimate the importance of the strategies and the tactics and all that, because that stuff changes all the time, particularly in the space that we're in, where we're doing a lot of online stuff and podcasting and websites and blogs and whatever, but it's being around high level thinkers, people who would challenge us, people from different industries who are coming together and you're masterminding and you're swapping ideas. I feel like that is such a, a key part of your growth is just being around other other great thinkers and people who will push you, not just getting a book and trying to implement the strategies on your own. Yeah. I mean, strategies and tactics are great, but like you said, it's, we're in an ever changing world. By the time you finish reading that book, there's 10 new steps and 10 different things. And, you know, and, the, and, and I always, I'm a big believer that there's not one specific way to success, right? Like, yes, you can find the master and follow the model, which we talked about before we hit, hit record. Yeah. But at the same time, there's, there's 10 other ways and 10 other masters, right? So you, number one, have to find out what works for you tactics wise. But at the end of the day, I think a coach is and communities and masterminds. I think it's more for the mindset. Right. Yeah, it's totally. to clear, it's to clear the cobwebs. It's to, to clear away those brick walls that we've built up and those limiting beliefs that we, we decided to own um, and go, okay, let me think about this a little differently. Right. Like uh, for me, this, he was never a coach of mine, but a dear friend named Mike Kim. I don't know if you, you might be connected. I do to know him. Mike. He's, He's been world. on the show a time or two and a wonderful guy. Yeah. And so early, early, early on in my entrepreneurial journey, my podcast was doing very, very well. My business was not, I had just gotten let go from my job. And so I was hundred percent on my own and broke. And I went and spoke at an event that he was speaking at and we ended up going out for drinks. Uh, and I don't, I don't think Karen was there, but Susie Miller was at, at this table and, you know, Mike orders a drink and keep in mind, I was broke. I was real broke. 
I was worried my credit card wasn't going to go through for the hotel room, right? And so Mike orders a drink. It's a $65 glass of scotch. And they go around <laughs> the table and every other speaker said, I'll have the same thing. And I was the last one because I was sitting to the right of Mike. And I kind of gulped and I was like, I'll have, I'll have one of those too. Uh, and then I'm freaking out, but having a great conversation with Mike. The waitress comes back and says, can I get you guys anything else? And Mike goes, you know what? I'll have another one. And they go around the table. Everybody says, I'll have another one. Comes back to me. I go, I'll, I'll have another one too, right? I'm super nervous. I'm like, I don't know if my credit cards are going to go through. We're now at 130 bucks plus tip. And uh, Mike ended up paying for everybody's drinks. But the point of the story is sitting down and clearing the cobwebs and understanding different way to look at my business. He didn't teach me a strategy, but he, he allowed me to kind of view my business in a different way. I went home and made $22,000 in the next three weeks mm. because of that shift in my mindset. And I never looked back. And I was like, wow, like that's all that's needed. And I think that's really, and, and Mike's a great coach to so many, but I think really that is what a coach does, right? Like he didn't teach me tactics. He just made me look at what I was doing differently. You know, this is such, it's such an interesting conversation. So I come from the ministry and higher education worlds. These are two, and like, just to be really frank, and I've talked about this stuff on the podcast before, so it's not like anything new, but those are two fields where, you know, there, there tends to be a very limiting mindset about money, resources, those kinds of things. And that, that has, I'm not going to say I totally have it conquered, but I, I've come a long way, but it's still a point where sometimes I feel a little bit of struggle in that because it's so hard to like overcome limiting beliefs and everything. But it's, it's so fascinating because it's not it's not real. I mean, I guess it is about the money in some regards, but it's not just about the money. It's about what you have to do to do and the person you have to become to earn more. To me, that is the, that is such a critical component of this. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. When you think about, okay, I want to make a certain amount, or I want to have a certain amount of revenue, or I want to reach a big goal. Does that drive you? Or are you more driven by, I've got to grow into this certain kind of a person to achieve that goal? And what does that mean for me, for my lifestyle, for my goals, for my mindset, for my habits, et cetera? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question, actually. Probably one of the best questions anybody's ever asked me. And that's not me, that's not me blowing smoke. And, and here's why. When I set a money goal, I never, ever hit it. Hmm. I, I never hit it um, because of the limiting beliefs that I've developed in my life that I continue to work through. But what I do is, who do I need to become to live the life that I want to live? Yeah. And then every single day I'm doing the work that I need to do. It becomes so much easier when it's tied to self versus tied to outside circumstances, right? Like I talk often about uh, limiting beliefs and kind of where they come from. And then I have a three-step process to overcome any limiting belief. But the one place that, that one of the four places limiting beliefs come from is society. My whole life, society told me that, Justin, once you get the car, the house, the girl, the money, you're going to be happy. The reality is I went out and I got all those things and the girl kept changing, but that's here nor there. Um, but <laughs> that's another podcast. That's another podcast. Um, but I wasn't happy. And I was like, but then society is lying, but that's the limiting belief that society states, right? They, they go, once you get all those things, then all of a sudden everything's going to be easy. Uh, when I became the person I wanted to become, everything was easy. Now, obviously, is that forever growing? Yeah, I'll grow to the day I die, but I'm happy with who I am now. Hmm. And when I became happy with who I am, people like happy people. And so they're yes. drawn to them. They want to work with them. They want to listen to their podcast. They want to do all these things. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's the exact opposite. Success is the exact opposite of what society tells you it is. Man, that's, that is a great point. That's really a great point. What do you feel like society really emphasizes when it comes to success? Is it the glitz and the glamour and 
having lots of fans and having tons of money and driving a cool car and all those kinds of things. Yeah. It's, it's things, right? Like it's outside things. It's not, it has nothing to do with the inside you. And this is why, by the way, this is why the self-development is a multi-billion dollar industry. Like this is why people who make a ton of money invest so much money in their own self-growth because they realize they got to where they're going and they felt super empty, right? They chased and chased and chased and then finally got there and went, Oh, now I'm just now I'm just the rich guy with nothing else in my life because a lot yeah. of times they've burnt every other bridge. Exactly. And that's because that's what society said you needed, right? The Ferrari. By the way, Ferraris are ugly. I'm sorry if you have one. I think so too. Thank you for <laughs> saying that. I just I think they're like the least attractive high-end car. Yeah, no, I, I have a couple of car friends that love Ferraris and I'm like, they're hideous. I just don't understand. It. Anyway, but like, like society. Yeah, that's that's the problem, right? Exactly. Those neon green Ferraris that I used to play with on the little mat, right? And <laughs> exactly. so and and so when I I never I was always kind of a minimalist. Like things never did it for me. But I was I was like, "Oh, if I drive a nice nice car, people might look at me differently and then maybe I'll look at myself differently." Or, you know, if I have a, the big house, maybe people will look at me differently and then I'll look at myself differently. I think we all struggle or at one point have all struggled with that concept of like, do I actually even like myself? Right. Like we didn't get too totally. much into my own personal story. Um, but my mom had a 20 year battle with opioids and it ultimately took her life. And I then went on a three month bender where I was blackout drunk six nights a week to avoid grief and pain of grief. And when I w- kind of came out of that bender and decided to kind of sit and feel my feelings, I realized my mom didn't die because she was an addict. My mom died because she didn't love herself. Because society told her that she wasn't pretty. Society told her that she didn't have the life that she was supposed to have, right? She was married for 20 years, then divorced and never felt worth again after the divorce. Because society's like, you're a woman that grew up in this era. So you need to be married with children. You live in a beautiful home. Um, But when I woke up from the bender, I went, I don't love myself either. That's a problem. And so I always say the first two years of my podcast were for me. And the conversations I had were for me, for me to learn. And very often I'd just be like, what does self-love mean to you? Because I didn't understand the concept. Now I do realize now that self-love is our own personal journey. There's not one specific roadmap, unfortunately. Um, But it starts with the understanding that I'm not who I necessarily want to be, but I'm perfect the way I am today. Yeah. And if we can start to live in that mantra, everything starts to kind of flip and change and, and do all that stuff. And so after I've gone on a rant, the reality is like that life is so much more than outside circumstances. Uh, we're not defined by any of it. It just doesn't matter. Uh, so be kind, give. These are the things that, you know, at the end of your life, you're going to go, I'm glad I did that. And so that's kind of where, how I live my life the best I can, at least. Man, these are Justin, these are really fantastic words for writers because, of course, it's primarily writers who listen to this podcast. One of the things that I see is I've actually never thought about this before, but now that you've mentioned this, I kind of had a light bulb moment where I think a lot of writers struggle and a lot of creatives. You know, I, I see writers as kind of a subset of creatives and artists. They struggle with this self love concept because they relate themselves so closely to their art. You know, if somebody likes their art, They love themselves. If somebody hates their art, well, then they hate themselves because we identify so closely with our creative work. Is there anything that you would, that you would say to writers who are struggling with their sense of self-worth and self-love? And I I think this perfectionistic tendency that a lot of creative types have, I think it comes from this constant tendency to just criticize ourselves and we're not good enough. And I'm not as good as the next guy. And my writing was not going to be that good. And 
you know, those kinds of things. And any any words that you might have for those creative types who are really struggling just to love and accept themselves? Yeah, you know, that's a that's another great question. It's so funny. I think sometimes, and I know a lot of creatives and I, I love them dearly. Uh, I find that a lot of times creatives feel like they can't be creative unless they're in that angst, totally. self-loathing totally. type, of, type of mindset. And so they feel like if they ever get, they, it's almost like they seek out the negative, right? Yeah. They, they seek that person who goes, that's an ugly piece of art. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Guess what? 97% of art that I see, I go, that's ugly. I don't get it. Like, I just don't <laughs> understand it. Right. And that's my own. It, it's nothing against the it. artist. It's more of me going, well, I don't understand it. So that's, that's enough for me. Um, but, but I think the main thing is they have to understand that the creative is in their heart. It's not because they're, well, was me. It's not because they're heartbroken. It's not any of those things. And so once they, they start to realize that the creative will still happen, they'll notice the good a lot more. They're going to notice the 17 comments that say, this is beautiful. Instead of the six, you said, this is ugly. Right. Or, you know, the people who focus on, like, I've, I've got one or two one-star reviews on my podcast. And I, I'm like, well, first of all, that, that means it's not all my friends, they don't, spending time listening to me. Exactly. That was the win. That was the win. And so I always, I always have the, the mindset of life is happening for me, not to me. Okay, great. Somebody doesn't like my artwork or somebody doesn't like my podcast or somebody doesn't like my book. Well, what does that mean? Why is Why did I have to hear that? And then you try and figure out the lesson. And a lot of times we create the lesson, right? Like there might not always be a totally. specific thing, but also we go, okay, you know what? Maybe they were right. Maybe I didn't go deep exactly. enough in that in that chapter. Maybe maybe that there should have been more pink on on the canvas. Maybe maybe my podcast should be daily instead of once a week, right? And so you have to start to go instead of looking at it as criticism, start looking at it as constructiveness in order to yeah. kind of create what it is that's going to reach even more people. Um, and so and, and get out of, get out of your own way. Like the angsty stuff doesn't work, right? <laughs> Focus on the good try and shade out the, the negative. Uh, and I think, I think long-term it'll kind of work out uh, for sure. You know, I don't think any of us want to end up like, uh, have you ever heard of the, um, I think it's just called the 27 club. It's all the, the musicians who died at age 27. Oh yes. Yeah. And it's like a real thing. And in fact, I, I read a story a couple of days ago that made me think of that. It's, you know, Sean Mendez, the singer, pop singer, he has canceled his next block of concerts just because of his mental health. And, you know, he's been really crazy successful. He's only 23. Right. You know, poor guy. <laughs> How can anybody <laughs> handle that at 23? I have no idea. But it's interesting. But when you take that and you contrast that, just this morning, I read an article about Willie Nelson is still out there touring. He's 89. He's lasted for decades. And it, and I guess I, that makes me want to pose the question to you, Justin. What are some of the the things that you would recommend that we put in our lives where we could last to age 89 and where we don't kill ourselves at 23 or 33 or 43? I see a lot of people crash and burn in their 40s. I've had a lot of friends in the church world, in the academic world, in the entrepreneur space who they just get to that mid-30s to mid-40s range and they just crash and burn for whatever reason. Yeah. Any words of wisdom based on the people you've talked to and from your own life that Man, we here are some things that we could put in our lives to ensure that at age 89, we're going to still be creating and we're still going to be a healthy and engaged person. Yeah. Willie Nelson would tell you that it's weed. 
Um, <laughs> that's true. That's <laughs> well, true. so first of all, I've never, I've never even smoked weed. At, so I can't, I can't attest to this, but maybe so that is no the idea. secret. Maybe that is the secret. Um, but you know, it's funny. You talk about the 27, the 27 club, right? A lot of that was they chased something so long in their life and they thought they'd have worth once they got there and they got there and still didn't feel worth. That's, that's, that, that's the whole conversation we were, we've been having today. Yeah. Um, and so a question that I ask every single guest on my show, and I've done 450 plus interviews and of some of the, the top people in the world, greatest minds, comedians, actors, billionaires, whatever, they've all been on the show, WWE wrestlers, all the things. And I ask two questions that are exactly the same. And then this is one that's a two-part question. The first is, what's your definition of success? And the second part is, what are three things you do every single day to ensure that success for yourself? And good. I, as I was looking back, I was like, What's the common denominator between all of these individuals that I get to interview? Like, what is their secret? Like, what is the secret that they all, they all share? And I realized that even though their definition for success was always different from one another, the three things they did, although different, were always taking care of themselves first. As creatives, as authors, as podcasters, entrepreneurs, giving entrepreneurs, people who speak from the heart, we want to give and give and give but you can't pour from an empty cup. And so what I always say is one of the greatest things to not get burnout is to make sure you have non-negotiables every single day in your life that fills your cup. And you define what that is, by the way. Like it could be a healthy habit. It could be a not so healthy habit. What's filling your cup every single day? So I have four non-negotiables every single day. One is I take a walk every single morning, whether it's freezing cold, whether it's raining, doesn't matter. Uh, it's somewhere between two to three miles every, every morning. Uh, the second thing is I learn something new every single day. Uh, because if I'm feeding my brain, I'm, I'm healthier overall. The third thing is I reach out to somebody I care about every single day and let them know uh, what this does is it builds strong relationships to make sure that when I do hit a lull, I have those strong relationships in my life to help me. Uh, and then the fourth one is I do some, I, I do a deep visualization every single day of where I'm going. And so I'll tie my visualization practice to all five of my senses in some way, shape or form. Uh, and what that does is it makes it a reality already in my head. And so therefore the action becomes easier. Uh, and so I do those four things at some point throughout the day, every single day. And what that does for me is it fills my cup. And I've already made the decision in my life that what is in my cup is for me and what overflows is for everybody else. I will no longer deplete my, to, I will no longer deplete myself to help others. Um, and that was a huge shift for me in my life and my health and, and, you know, my, my, even my business success is to say, Hey, if I take care of myself first, it's amazing. As a matter of fact, I started saying, the most selfless thing you can do is to be selfish uh, because if you take care of yourself, you have more to give. Uh, and I think that's the ultimate goal for most people, especially creatives. Like you're, you're writing that book to give, let's be real. And so if you want to give more, you need to make sure you take care of yourself first. Man, those are great words. So I'm furiously scribbling down notes, even though I can go back and listen to this later and I will, but this is really good. So, so every day you take a walk, you learn something new, you reach out to somebody you care about. Now, I do want to ask real quick, does that mean somebody kind of in your close network or, or just somebody that, you know, you're letting, and you're letting them know, Hey, I care about you. I'm wanted to check in something like that. Yeah. I, you know, it's across the board. Like I know, I remember one day, you know, I, he's not a close friend, but he's an acquaintance, Trent Shelton, who's been on the show. Uh, I was scrolling through social media one day and I saw he was going through some things and I just sent him a message and said, Hey man, I just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you. You know, and again, he's not a close friend, but it's about that touch and then reaching out. And when I, when I know that I can be there for somebody, 
because not everybody was always there for me, but I knew that when I could be there for somebody, I get filled up. It doesn't deplete me all the totally. time. Um, even just even that touch point, right? And so it's not necessarily a super tight circle all the time, uh, but sometimes it's that moment of like, you know, I know a buddy recently just had shoulder surgery. Yo, how, how's the healing going? Blah, blah, blah. Just a super quick text. It takes me five seconds every single day. Right. right. And, and that's it. And so it helps fill my cup. So yeah, it's not necessarily a close circle, um, but some definitely some sort of acquaintance or whatever the case may be. It's so easy to overthink that stuff too, where we think, well, I've got to put that on my to-do list and blah, blah, blah. But literally you see it, you do it. It takes five seconds. It's amazing the kinds of cool things that can come out of just those super spur of the moment interactions with people. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, if people listening right now, try it out. Like literally right now, as you're listening to this, take your phone that you're listening to this on and text somebody and just say, Hey, I want to let you know, I'm thinking about you. And the funny thing is if it's the first time you're doing it and that's not necessarily a personality, the people are going to be like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> hey, are and you that's right? a good thing though. That's a good thing. And then start making it a habit. And, and once it becomes a habit, like I don't even think about it. I just do it. Yeah. Um, and you know, without thinking about it. And a lot of times it is, I'll see something and be like, oh, that's the person I got, I got today. Right. I believe in like the signs of the universe. That's the person I got today. And so that's just what I do. Super easy. Well, I love this, Justin, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about all this and, uh, definitely want to do a follow-up at some point, uh, particularly when your book comes out, I'm super excited yes. about your book. Do you have any kind of a time frame for it or is it just sort of an ongoing thing and it'll, it'll come together when it comes together. Yeah. It's an ongoing thing that I'll, it'll come together, you know, and I hope quick, I hope quickly, right? Like this isn't, this isn't my memoir. It's not 500 pages long. <laughs> um, and so, so I hope quickly, but it's, a, again, it's about, you know, and this is the writer's thing, right? Like sitting down and writing. Like, I feel like whenever I sit at my desk, like where I'm talking to you right now, like, I feel like I'm supposed to be making money. And like, so writing doesn't serve that. So I got to right, change right. environments sometimes. Sometimes it's just literally I'll go outside and smoke a cigar and type on my phone and, you know, do all the things that I can to, to disrupt that a little bit. But so it all depends on how much time I have to sit down away from my yeah. space and, and, you know, and start writing. But I, I, I got a good chunk done, you know, in the last week or so, which was like my biggest progress I've made. Uh, and so hopefully soon, I don't know, it'll be there. It'll be out. Check. Keep looking <laughs> for it every day. Point. <laughs> well, I'm excited to read it and to help promote it. And I know that it's just like this conversation is going to help a lot of people. So Justin, thanks for making time to be a guest on, on the show. I want to just take a second to acknowledge all the amazing work that you're doing in the world from your, your conference and the book that's coming out on your podcast and conversations and connections. You're just doing a lot of cool stuff and really having an impact on people. And I could see that even before we just connected for this podcast interview, you're, you're really impacting a lot of people. So thanks for having the guts to make something happen for getting out of your comfort zone and for encouraging all of us to pursue personal development. It's, it's really, really important. So, so thank you. I appreciate that. Ken, thank you so much. I, I appreciate this conversation. I look forward to having a conversation on my podcast with you. So, you know, wherever they're listening to this, go subscribe to mine because they'll be on there. Uh, but I, I appreciate it, Ken. Thank you so much. Sounds fun. Thank you so much. That was such an inspiring conversation. Justin is so full of energy and enthusiasm and inspiration. It's, it's like you can't help but just feel better by talking with him and hanging around a guy like him because he's just so full of great energy. Well, I would say if I had to pick one takeaway from this conversation, it is really to start paying more attention to the people who are, who are in your network and the people who are in your circle. It's important that we hang around people who can take us higher and also people who we can take higher. So if you're not really happy with the results that you're getting in life and you're not happy with your level of success, take a look around you. Are the people in your circle 
and the people who you're spending time with, are they taking you to the next level in your life? It's a tough question, but it's a question definitely worth asking. I want to thank Justin for making time to be a guest on this episode. I had a blast and I so appreciate you taking your time to chat with me. Again, make sure and check out Justin's site at growthnowmovement.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.